Okay. Parenthood is a wonderful thing, right? Well, it can be a wonderful thing. <laughs> it really is a good thing. Uh, that's okay. He's okay. I'm a blessing. You are a blessing. <laughs> I love the psalm that says, you know, children are a gift from the Lord, and blessed is the man whose uh, quiver is full of them, something like that. I always like the word quiver associated with children. <laughs> you know, you learn a lot as, an, as a parent. You know, when, uh, uh, when David was uh, just starting uh, middle school, I almost said junior high school. That dates me, doesn't it? But when he was just starting a, a, a middle school, uh, he came home one day and he said, Mom, Dad, I've got to have Nike shoes. This is not an endorsement for Nike. It just happened to be what he said. He says, I've got to have Nike shoes. He says, you're not going to get Nike shoes. Those, those are very expensive shoes. You, you, you're just fine in shoes from Kmart. <laughs> that also dates me. He says, but they, they call them Kmart kickers, and they don't, you know, they make fun of me. I said, David, that's, you're not going to get these shoes. Look, this is nothing but a part of our materialistic world that you've got to have these expensive shoes, and it's a fashion statement, and, you, and we're just not going to play that game. I said, Dad, they're all wearing Nikes. There's no way on earth everybody's wearing Nikes. Just be happy with your Kmart kickers. A few days later, I, I had him drive Dave to school, and I dropped him off, and he walked in. I thought, I'm going I'm to teach this kid. I'm, I'm going to find out about this. So I watched all the kids as they walked in. Every one of them was wearing, <laughs> was wearing Nike. And that wasn't the half of it. All the teachers were wearing <laughs> Nikes. So we, we, that afternoon, we ran out. We got David Nikes. It gets worse. They cost three times as much. They lasted four times longer. I mean, it was like a value. It was a smart thing to do. So, anyway, uh, uh, shoes have become something of a fashion statement. Uh, uh, my, my shoes, you're looking at them right now. My shoes say, <laughs> say, old guy who's boring. That's what, what my shoes say. Actually, my shoes say, uh, these are the only pair I can find that fit my orthotics so my feet don't hurt. Which is the same thing as old guy who's, uh, yeah, okay. But, uh, you know, a lot of people you know, for whom uh, shoes are a fashion statement, uh, I started investigating all the different kinds of shoes. I thought, maybe I'll just Google it, you know, how many kinds of shoes are there? And I was reading about low heels and high heels and stilettos, and, and then I went to the women's shoes, and it was... <laughs> I mean, this, this thing is like mind-boggling. I, I, I learned about the history of shoes. Did you know that uh, there weren't any such thing as right and left shoes until uh, the 1700s? Until then, when they made shoes, they, it was just one shoe. You put one on one foot, one on the other. That was it. You know? So the next time you've got a preschooler and, and you're tempted to say, you put the wrong shoe on the wrong foot. Understand, they're just being a traditionalist. <laughs> They just want to go back to the past. And, you know, that's, a, that's a pretty neat thing. In the times of the New Testament, when Paul was writing, um, the, the people uh, didn't really wear shoes. They wore sandals a lot and went barefoot a lot. Uh, but uh, the, the most common footwear for everybody was, was sandals. The only people who really wore shoes were soldiers. 
The only people who, who had the, the enclosed foot or the almost fully enclosed foot, depending on the, the legion of the army that you were in, but uh, uh, were, were the soldiers. And it had, it had a very heavy reinforced uh, uh, sole on it and, and would either have studs or spikes to get extra grip to, uh, to make them more suited for battle and more prepared for uh, the, the conflict that, that was coming on. So in, in a moment, we're going to be looking at shoes and, and having uh, on our feet the, the preparation, the readiness for the gospel of peace. But uh, it, it's not as though Paul is saying, well, when you get up in the morning, uh, just throw on your favorite loafers or throw on your favorite uh, fuzzy slippers. Uh, you know, he's saying, no, you're a soldier. There's a footwear a soldier wears. And you're a soldier in the army of Christ. And there's a, there's a shoe that you wear for that task. And it's the readiness of the gospel of peace. It's kind of an interesting verse. Uh, you may look at it and say, well, it's not that much. But uh, uh, it's kind of an interesting verse in the way it works in the passage. And we'll look at that a little bit later on this morning. But let's pick up reading in Ephesians chapter 6. Start at verse 13, read through uh, verse 18, the first part of that. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, we do pray that you would give us strength for the journey and strength for the battle. For very quickly, our energy levels wane and our, our, our abilities uh, fail us. Very soon, we encounter things in life and we are not able to cope and not able to understand, not able to press on. So I pray that you would give us the power, the strength, and the ability to walk in the footsteps of Christ, to make him known by our actions and our words. Father, that you would give us the power to love as he loved, to forgive as he forgave. Father, that you would give us the power and the ability to stand strong in the spirit and not to be moved away by the, by the assault of the evil one. Father, I pray that you would give us power for day-to-day life. Father, we are not capable of these things, but how we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and pray that through your spirit we would be enabled and made powerful for the conflict, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to have in front of you, or at least in your mind, our our focal verse this morning is verse 15. As shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Um, The gospel of peace, of course, has to do with our salvation. It's a wonderful message. In fact, uh, Jesus is known as the one who brings peace. This, this is what we think of on the uh, first Christmas uh, morning or evening, whatever it was. Uh, uh, the angels came and they sang, you know, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace to men 
Uh, I learned it to men of good will. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied before that. Uh, speaking of Messiah Jesus, he said, uh, a child is given, a son is born, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. And the great thing is that Jesus not only brings us peace with the Father and peace within, but Jesus is our peace. He is the one in whom, not just uh, who, who hands off to us a little package called peace and now we have it, but he is the one in whom and with whom when we abide in his presence we have peace. And so Jesus is the author, the bringer of peace in our lives. The Apostle Paul earlier on in the, in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he said we were at odds with God, we were at enmity with God, but in Jesus Christ that dividing wall, that barrier is broken down and he's brought the two, the Jew and Gentile together and he has made peace. He's brought us together as one. Elsewhere in Colossians, Paul says that this peace for us was purchased and comes to us by way of the blood of the cross. That when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, uh, he took away that, that barrier. He took away that rebellion. He took away all those things that we had done in, in uh, abject uh, rejection of God. And he took those away and thereby he brought us to the Father and we have peace in Jesus Christ. And because of Christ, we have peace with God. In fact, Paul puts it this way. I'm, I'm going to read to you for a moment from uh, the book of Romans. This is in uh, chapter 5 of the book of Romans, if you want to just uh, tell your electronic device to go over there. But uh, Paul says this. It starts in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, now, we're justified means since we were put right with God, since all those things that were wrong in us that kept us from God, that Jesus has taken them away. We are now in line with God. We are just before God. We are not guilty in the presence of God. And we've talked about so often, but it bears repeating that because of the shed blood of Christ, we are made right with God. So being justified by faith that is simply accepting it, not working for it or figuring it out, but simply accepting this promise of God, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have absolute peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, um, at that point, you know, you say, well, that, th this is a really great thing. I have peace with God. I've got peace, and it's kind of like a river. You know what I mean when I say peace like a river? I've got peace like a river in my soul. You know what I'm talking about here. Well, I got peace like, no, okay. But uh, we, we have peace, wonderful peace, flowing from the Father above. So we have this peace because of Jesus Christ. Let me read on in, in Romans 5 and verse 2. It says, through him we've obtained a, an access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So God the Son, Jesus Christ, brings us to hope in the glory of, of God the Father. And so this glory, this glorious presence of God is now ours because of Jesus Christ. And you think, well, this is the point at which to, to, to do a victory lap. This is the point at which to, to have a great celebration. This is the point at which to say, you know, I've got this wonderful peace. Wouldn't you like this wonderful peace? Because now my life is just gone like, like gangbusters. Everything's wonderful. It's gone straight along. But in verse 3, Paul says, now because we have peace and because we know the glory of God, because we have hope in that glory, in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. The sufferings are still real. 
but we have peace with God and that helps us endure because we know that suffering produces endurance. And because we have peace with God, we know that endurance produces character. And because we have peace with God, we know character produces hope. And we know that because we have peace with God, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because we have peace through Jesus Christ the Son, we have peace with God the Father, and we are loved by God the Father through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Pull out your highlighter and mark that with a T. This is a Trinity passage again in our scriptures. Now four, while we were still weak... This is is the confidence that we have in the peace. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, that's, that's gospel. That's good news. To say, you know, Christ came to die for the godly. That's not good news, not for me. It might be for you, but it's not good news for me. To say Christ came to die for the religious. God came to die for the just. That's not me. He says... Christ came to die for the ungodly. He came to die for the ungodly. Now, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. By and large, we don't just die for people unless it's a worthwhile thing to do. Um, now, if I'm going to give up my life, I'm going to ask for an application with references. I'm, I want to know that, you know, if I'm going to die for somebody, I want them to know that they are worth dying for. And so you, you just don't die for anybody, you, you, you don't even die scarcely for a righteous person because, you know, perhaps, you know, on a good day you might die for a good person. But here's how God commends his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is why we never doubt the peace we have with God. We have this peace not because of who we are or what we've done. We have it because of who Jesus is and what he has done. He died for us while we were still sinners. And so we have this glorious, wondrous peace with God. And that brings us peace within. All that turmoil within us is put at rest because our hope and our confidence is in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We have peace with the Father, therefore peace within. Think about that that prodigal son who went to his father and he took his inheritance and he went off to the far country, spent his money in riotous living, wound up with a job feeding pigs. And while he was doing that, he said, you know, I've really blown this thing. Even the employees in my dad's house, the servants in my dad's house, they eat better than this. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll ask dad for a job. Maybe he'll Maybe he'll give me a job. Can you imagine the turmoil within and the, and the, and the, the, and the, the apprehension within his heart as he, as he rounded the corner and came over the hill and there was his dad and he went up and, and, he, and he started his speech. He says, Father, you know, I've sinned against you. And the dad cut him short. He says, no, 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 no. Don't say another word. Somebody, get, get a robe for this kid. Get some rings and, and get some sandals and put them on his feet. And let's kill a fatted calf. I don't know what a fatted calf is, but it's better than a skinny calf. But let's get the fatted calf and let's kill it. And let's have a party because my son was lost and this is my son. And he's found, he's come home again. Can you imagine the peace 
that went through that young lad's heart when he found out his dad loved him like that. Martin Luther, as you know, was a, uh, the, the reformer Luther, but he, uh, he started out studying for the law, and then one day while he was traveling along a road doing law stuff, I guess, but he was traveling along and a, and a lightning bolt just, just barely missed it. And, uh, and in that experience, he said, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll become a monk. And so he became a monk. And he started meditating, and he started fasting. He started reading the Bible and he started praying and he started doing all kinds of menial service. He, he, he lived a life of, of denial. He did all those things because he thought, I, I've got to find some way for God to love me because of my sins. He had a, a, a friend, a, a, his mentor, a man by the name of uh, Stalpitz. And, and Martin Luther used to spend hours and hours telling Stalpitz how sinful he was. He was just that torn up on the inside until one day he was reading scripture. And he found out that you're justified by faith. And he said, at that moment, I knew. And at that moment, the Protestant Reformation began. When you have peace with God, you have peace within. John Wesley, about 200 years uh, later, uh, was at a little chapel on Aldersgate uh, uh, Road Street in uh, London. And he was in in great turmoil. He was an an Episcopalian, an, an Anglican priest. And and so he knew all this theology and so forth, but it was just swirling around with him. And, you know, could, could it's one such as he be saved? And he said in that, in that chapel service, somebody started reading Luther's preface to the book of Romans. Now, doesn't that sound exciting? You know, how about if I do that next week? We'll just read the original German of Luther's preface to the Romans. But as he was reading that, Luther talking about grace and talking about faith, John Wesley said, suddenly my heart was strangely warmed, and I knew I believed. And from there, the great um, Wesleyan movement and revival uh, began. When you are up tight and torn in knots and filled with self-doubt, peace with God is the way to have peace within and to be satisfied with your life before the Father. And it comes through Jesus Christ. And when you have that kind of peace with the Father, and you have that kind of peace within, then you're able to face what life throws your way. You know, uh, the, the, the health issues and the illness that comes your way. It, it's a struggle and you deal with it and there's the pain and the, it, all that still goes on. But you have a confidence and a boldness because you have peace with God and peace within. When a relationship breaks down, when, when a child goes off into the far country, country when when things are just fragmenting all around you you still have to work through it and it's still a problem and you you still agonize about things but you have an ultimate peace within that gets you through it because you know that God is on his throne and that Christ has not abandoned you you see when you have peace within and peace with the father you can face life and that's why you need to be ready with the gospel of peace but that's not entirely what this verse is about. I mean, all, all that's true. Don't, don't get me wrong. But there's more. Verse 15. Of course, I have to go to Ephesians to find it. But in verse 15. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. See, not only is peace the gift of God to us, And that the gospel of peace ushers us into the presence of God. 
But the gospel of peace leads us to stand in the line of battle. Because this gospel of peace is not only the goal, but it's the cause of the struggle. See, if you don't care about Christ and you don't care about the things of God, the devil will pretty much leave you alone. He really doesn't care what happens to you. But when you love God and you love Christ, when you have the peace of God in your heart, that's when Satan attacks. You remember back in verse 11, he says, we're putting on all this armor so we can uh, combat the wiles and the schemes of the devil. See, it's not like you're just putting on shoes. Oh, they, they look really nice. The shoes have to do with combating the scheme of the devil. And so having put on these shoes, these gospel shoes, you're saying, I know he's coming and I've got to stand firm and stand strong in the line of battle. See, all of us know about the peace, but we, we forget about the fact that knowing the peace brings the conflict. There's somebody who said something about that. If you look over in the Gospel of Luke, and I will even if you don't, but in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 51, Jesus says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Stop right there. Do you think I've come to bring peace? You know, this next week, ask 100 people. If that many are talking to you, but ask 100 people. Do you think Jesus came to bring peace on earth? And 99 of them. See, the one who won't answer this is, is an atheist, and he doesn't think Jesus existed at all. But 99 of them are going to say, of course Jesus came to bring peace. Everybody knows Jesus came to bring peace. What kind of question is that? Do you think Jesus came to bring peace? Everybody knows Jesus came to bring peace. Everybody except Jesus. Because he says, do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus said, do you think, you know, that it's going to be easy now? He says, no, there's going to be division. Now, to understand that, look at verse 49. Get a running start into what he's talking about. In verse 49, he says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and, I, and would that it were already kindled. He said, I've, I've come to cast fire on the earth. Now, we already know from the preaching of John the Baptist that this fire imagery is an imagery of the judgment of God coming upon the earth. But that fire that Jesus brings is because Jesus unleashes the holiness of God upon the earth. See, people don't like the holiness of God. They don't like to see holiness in your life. That's why if, 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 you know, if you've ever had this encounter and somebody says, Hey, you want to drink? No, I don't drink. What? What do you mean you don't drink? What do they care? They don't like to see any holiness going on. And that's why when, when, when our young people go off to college and they've grown up in a Christian home and, and they've been supported and into church and, they've, you know, and, and then they get out in, into a setting and suddenly they're surrounded by people and they think they're friends and they say, well, no, I don't do parties and I, and I don't do the drugs and I don't do the alcohol. What do you mean you don't? holier than thou. You know, you're just some kind of fanatic. What? They don't really care about your kid. They can't stand to see even the smallest glimpse of holiness before them because the holiness of God is a fire. And when Jesus unleashes holiness, the holiness of God upon the earth, the earth can't stand it because there's a couple of things fire does. First, fire destroys things that don't deserve to be there. 
Fire burns them out. But the other thing, fire, the other thing the holiness of God does is it purifies other things. And so when the holiness of God is unleashed upon us, there's a division. There's things that are burned, and there are things that are purified. There are people that run from it. There are people who gravitate towards it. And Jesus said, I've come to bring a fire on the earth. I've come to bring and unleash the holiness of God upon the earth. He says, I wish it were already done. By the way, everybody wishes it were already done. Because by the time God gets through unleashing his holiness upon the earth, ultimately, there'll be no sin, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no illness, there'll be no pain. All the wickedness of mankind will be gone. And the whole of creation will be made new and purified. That, by the way, is a goal that everybody wants. They just don't want to go through the process. Jesus said, I came to bring a fire, and there's going to be a judgment with that fire. Then he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. He'd already been baptized in the Jordan uh, by John the Baptist, and so he'd already experienced the water baptism. But he said, there's another baptism. That water baptism represented my identification with sinners. You remember John was baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was baptized, didn't need a baptism, hadn't committed any sins. John the Baptist said, no, no, you, you ought to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, this, this is what God wants right now. Because in being baptized, Jesus identified with a sinful and lost humanity. And on the cross, he died for sinful and lost humanity. And so when he said, I have a baptism that I've got to endure, I've got to undergo this baptism, he was talking about the cross. He was talking about the agony and his sacrificial death for us. He said, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So having talked about the unleashing of the holiness of God and the judgment of God, having talked about how he would die, the baptism he would, he would endure and die for our sins, having talked about that, he says, now, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? He says, this, this, this whole thing that I've been talking about, it's going to cause division because you're going to have to decide one way or the other. And then he makes it very personal. He says, for from now on in one house there will be now in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. And then he gets even more personal. He says, and they will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her. Daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He could have gone on and on and on. There will be a division even within the family. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you know what it's like to have a division because of the holiness of God in Jesus Christ. Some of you know what it is like when you know the peace with God and your loved one doesn't. And they agonize about it and they, they, they kick about it and they, there's a division about it. And See, there's, there's a struggle because wherever Jesus unleashes the holiness of God, there's a division. Those who accept and embrace and those who reject. And so this peace with God, going back to um, Ephesians chapter 6. This, this is why this is, this is such a, um, an interesting verse in understanding the whole concept of the, um, uh, the armor of God. It's such a key concept. He says, now right in the middle of this, with shoes, put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. Because the gospel of peace is what's causing the conflict. You know the gospel of peace and the devil can't stand it. You have peace with God and peace within yourself. You have, you have 
the one who is peace, Jesus Christ, in your life. The devil can't stand that. That's what's causing the conflict. He says, don't run from that. Put it on your feet and stand ready and poised for the attack that's coming and stand in the line. And what that means is that you first of all accept Christ and, and, and you accept that peace from God. It means admitting that you're a sinner, that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve death as the wages for our sin. But we believe that Jesus Christ died for us, that on the cross he gave his life so that I could live. And then we just come to Jesus and give our lives to him and confess him as Lord of our lives. And that's how you will know peace with God. And that will bring you peace within. And that will put you in the conflict with the devil. But folks, the victory is already won. The victory is already ours. And ultimately, the devil is nothing but a ten-horned lizard thrashing about because he knows he's dying. And the victory is ours in Christ Jesus. So I would urge you this week, put on those gospel shoes. Understanding it, it can lead to conflict, it can lead to a battle, it can lead to a struggle against the evil one. But put on the gospel shoes, the gospel of peace. And then you'll be ready for the battle. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And Father, we just thank you that you have won the victory. And we understand there's a battle to be won in our lives day by day. How we want you to be honored and glorified. How we want the victory to point to your majestic power. How we want our lives to shine forth as examples of what you can do with weak and unable vessels. So Father, again, let your Holy Spirit fill us, guide us, lead us. Let your Holy Spirit just clothe us with your army. And this morning I pray, Father, that our feet indeed would be shod with the readiness that is given to us because of the gospel of peace. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.